In part one of this series, Re-Envisioning Discipleship, so we discuss how we need to understand the times where we are living in um, 2019, in our present culture, where God placed us. And uh, we saw how important it uh, is for uh, Christians uh, to understand and discern uh, the input that the culture is bringing in our lives. And we saw how we cannot impact the culture if we become like the culture. If we want to be relevant to the culture, we must be separated and fill our hearts with God's word. And also, we saw that we cannot withdraw ourselves from uh, the world and living like a Christian ghettos. We need to be involved in our society, but living as a witnesses of God's grace in this world. If there is a passage of the Bible that really blesses me and gives me responsibility, is what Jesus said on the mountain when he was preaching the so-called Sermon on the Mountain. He mentioned something very important and still actually relevant for us. You are the light of the world. A city set on hill cannot be hidden. And I believe that this is very important for our days. We are the church and God called us. To be the church in this time. So uh, this morning we will go to second part of the, the series. And uh, we will discuss lessons from Babylon. We will be reading chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 21. Uh, I will not read the text right away. We will be meditating about lessons that we can learn from this place. The book of Daniel takes place in narrates the story of the people that were deported from the kingdom of Judah through uh, Babylon. And the kingdom of Judah was, uh, at that time, backsliding in a state of apostasy. God, for many years, in many different ways, brought these people to the awareness of their condition, of their faith, of the lack of zeal for His cause. And he sent different prophets to speak with them. But they rejected the prophets. And as we look at the book of Daniel, I pray that you will look at it as a, a book that is more than a fiery furnace, lion's dance, fantastic visions of the events that will come to the future. The book of Daniel is a book where God still in control and is present among his people even in a time where they are exiled. Sometimes we go in captivity in place of sufferings because we are stubborn. Because we don't take the advice of God's word. We can be sure also on the fact that God will do everything to bring back our attention. And today we will see how men like Daniel and his friends were able to stand for God's faithfulness. Babylon was a, a very difficult place, not because of the difficulties in itself materially, but because the evil that was rooted in the city. In the Bible, Babylon is not just a place where Nimrod tried to build a tower. Remember the Tower of Babel? They challenged God. Babylon was not just the capital of this big empire of the old age. No, Babylon represents also all the groups, all the cultures that are opposing God. 
with their system, with their way of living. It's not by chance that Revelation in chapter 17 calls Babylon the great whore. Or even chapter 13 verse 4 of Revelation is saying that Babylon demands its people to worship it. Even Peter, when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, he says that he's writing from Babylon. But in reality, most probably, he was writing from Rome. So we understand that Babylon is not just a city. It is a system. Today we can say it's the culture that we're living in that is opposing God. And it's very clear that even in the time of exile, God was still in control. He sent prophets like Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was encouraging the people of exile. He sent the letters through the prophet of Jeremiah. Prophesizing to the exiles that the exile will last just for a time of 70 years. So for me it's very important to understand this. That though Canada may be or become our Babylon. We can trust God as we walk faithful. Towards Him. And if we take the responsibility that God has given to us. As individuals. As a family. And as a church. We may be sure that God will accomplish His plans through us. Though we see signs of rebellion against God. Though we see signs and rumors of war. And the things that are opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let not be deceived by the enemy. God is still on the throne. And he knows what he's doing. And this morning I want to show you three strategies. The book of Nazar, that was the king, used to defeat those men of God. The first strategy was very clear. Remove God's people from their spiritual ground. The people of Judah were deported for their rebellion to God as I mentioned to you before you see many times we rebel to God because we think we have a better plan than God has for us and these people of Judah though they knew that they were in the middle between the two great empires in that moment one was the empire of the Babylon and the other one was the Egyptian empire they decided to find help Align themselves with the Egyptian. And Jeremiah says, do not ally yourself. Do not trust Egypt. Come back to me, says the Lord. But they put their trust in Egypt more than in God. And they thought in this way they could escape to the powerful and fairy army of the Babylonians. And many times, my brothers and sisters, we think that we have a better plan that God has, and instead to follow His direction, we try to implement our own plans. We choose our own allies, thinking that we can defeat it, our enemies. And when I talk about enemies, I talk about spiritual enemies. If we can read the first two verses of this Daniel chapter 1, look what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. And with some of the vessels of the houses of God, 
And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. You see, according to the scholars, verse 1 took after the big battle of Carchemish in 605 before Christ. It was a moment where these two empires came to war to control the area. And Babylon defeated the Egyptian. And because the king of Judah particularly chose to be on the side of Egypt, now the king of Judah became the enemy of the Babylons. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar put Jerusalem under besiege. Nebuchadnezzar tried to keep the people of Judah under his control in different steps. I haven't had the time to explain all the historical moments, but you can read that in 2 Kings, the last chapters, or 2 Chronicles, or some of the chapters of Jeremiah and the book of, of the prophet Isaiah. God gave the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Brothers and sisters, we have to be careful with who we are making alliance. We have to be careful what we choose. We have to be careful to not compromise our faith. But what is interesting here is that the strategy that Nebuchadnezzar used was to remove people of Israel or Judah from their spiritual ground, from what was familiar in their faith. And the one thing that they did was to remove the sacred vessels from the temple. It was not all of them, some of them. It's very important that the Bible says that some of them. It means that as Nebuchadnezzar removed those vessels, utensils, that were used for the sacrifice in the temple, it was removing something that was consecrated to the Lord. Through that, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, your God is worthless and without power. He cannot protect his people. You see, I removed all the equipment that serves you to worship God. The gods of Babylon are the most powerful. And today the strategy is the same. The enemy is trying to stop the people of God to worship. It's not removing all the, the, the utensils. Some of them. It's taking away from us things that before we're part of our spiritual growth in life. Spiritual discipline, like reading and praying the Bible, are not familiar anymore. Sometimes, even the service can be not Christ-centered, Spirit-filled. And we don't realize that. And we remove the foundation of the Bible and the doctrine that we learn through it. We keep some. But other major doctrines are taking away. We don't call sin anymore. We call mistakes. We don't walk in sanctification. And doing that, we justify sin. Because we are sinners, we continue to sin. It is normal. But we forget that we are no more sinners. We are new creation in Christ and the Spirit of God is with us and we have a new identity as a Christians now. In Christ our nature has been changed. Doesn't mean that we cannot commit sin, but we have to aim for perfection and sanctification. We have the Holy Spirit in us. 
And when we are trying to do something that is wrong, the Holy Spirit rings the bell and says, Mario, what are you doing? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we don't sin by mistake. We sin willingly. Every time we sin as a believer in Christ, we know that we are doing something to offend the Holy God. Because the Spirit of God is within us. And the book of the Tsar, removing the sacred utensils, is saying to them, you see your faith in this God is worthless. My brothers and sisters, if we are not following God, we risk to have just an image of faith in Christianity. And then we see also in the book of the Tsar, that took the young man into captivity. Notice that he brought to Babylon the best youth. Those who were destined to run the country. To be the next leaders for uh, Judah. Again this was part of the, a very specific strategy. And it was sending a clear message. Your future is mine too. Was saying Nebuchadnezzar. I will take some of the finest of your young men because their generation and every generation that will come after them belongs to me. And my brothers and sisters, the church today must be careful. The enemy is trying to take our young people, deceive them. Because he knows that they are the future. They will be the next leaders. And we as a church, we must defend our young people from the, the enemy. We have to. Look what it says. Then in verse 3 and 4. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, Endured with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Today, Christianity is struggling to retain young people. Only a small percentage of people that are born in the church are staying in the church as adults. There is something that we need to fix. We cannot take the luxury to allow the enemy to steal our young people from a church. My brothers and sisters, maybe this will mean finding new ways to reach out to them. But we have to teach them the word of God. We have to stand for the truth. We have to stand for the principle of God's word. The enemy is there to steal from us. But we have to trust God. And we have to hold in holy consideration the teachings that we are receiving in the Bible. It's amazing what young kids can receive. And we have to teach them despite the appealing things that the enemy is trying to bring in their lives. Today, God is still in control. He has not changed. Another strategy, the second one that I see in this chapter 1, is to switch the allegiance of God's people. Nebuchadnezzar tried to switch their loyalty from their God to himself and his kingdom. When the exiled people were vulnerable. 
You know, sometimes the enemy doesn't come in a way that we can recognize them right away. He doesn't come with a, a tail, a red, a, a maybe a, some decoration on his head, or with a fork. So we can recognize that this is the devil. No, no, no. He comes when we are vulnerable. He comes to pick up on us when we feel weak. You see, Daniel and his friends were probably teenagers when they were captured, perhaps at night, and brought in captivity in Babylon. Removing them from the love and the comfort of their parents. And brought in a different country where they need to learn a new language, a new culture. Can you imagine how vulnerable they were? And it was easy for the enemy to teach them different things in times of vulnerability. And switch their loyalty from the God of Judah to the gods of Babylon. My brothers and sisters and friends, the enemy will come to see you and to try to switch your allegiance to God when you are very vulnerable. Maybe when you are passing through a family crisis. Maybe when you are facing a sickness. Maybe when you are struggling at work and you realize that being faithful to God in that environment has not brought any fruit to you. You have been marginalized because of your faithfulness to God. And when you are in that condition of vulnerability, the enemy will come and present you something better in your eyes. It's the last of the eyes, say the Apostle John, that will produce eventually the condition to fall in sin. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, know that in times of vulnerability, the enemy will come and try to switch your loyalty. Those young teenagers were brought in captivity. And of course, they had in mind all the old stories that the ancestors and the parents were teaching. About God that delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. Uh, about God providing food in the wilderness. And the great miracles of the Red Sea being opened. And the Jordan River being opened. And how God allowed them to conquer the promised land. But those were stories of the past. Now they're in a different country. This king trying to change their loyalty was saying, how could you still continue to trust the God of Israel if he has allowed you to be deported? How you can trust and continue to believe in the old stories of the past? And let's be honest, brothers and sisters. We read in the Bible the stories of the mighty acts of God. But do we feel and do we still believe that those mighty acts of God are relevant for us today? Do we believe that when we are going through difficult times, we can expect God to work in our lives as he worked in the times of the apostles? Do we believe and we have a faith? I want to challenge all of us that when we pray for something and we'll enhance it, let's believe. Let's have faith in our hearts. Let's pray that God will show the same power in our days. Because God has not changed. He's faithful. Don't hear the voice of the enemy coming to you when a prayer that you made was not answered the way that you were expected. And the enemy says, how can you continue to pray in such a way? How can you continue to tight and give your money to the work of the Lord when you are struggling with financial situations? How can you separate yourself from the iniquities of some places when you see your friends being prosperous? 
It was the same question that the psalmist Asaph was asking himself in Psalm 73. Why live a holy life when the wicked people are prospering? We are no different from Asaph. The enemy will come and stop your spiritual growth in this way. Questioning your faith and trying to change and switch your loyalty from God to himself. We need to stand, my brothers and sisters, and knowing that God is still in control, even under a time of vulnerability. Most of the time, I realized in my life that it was in those times that I got to know Jesus more. Remember what Job says? His wife says, continue to bless God and you will die. Job stood for something beautiful. The Lord gave. The Lord blessed me with this. The Lord has taken it away. But let's continue to bless the name of the Lord. You'll learn through that. You see, the Babylonians had a very clear strategy. The ultimate goal was to change the spiritual and cultural identity. Let them forget the former religion. Let's teach them new things. Let's change the culture. And uh, let's propose to them something that will be appealing to them. They will see the king on a daily basis. They will be around him. They will be proud to serve the great empire of Babylon. Let's propose something good to exchange the loyalty. To change their spiritual identity. And the enemy will try to do the same. It will present to you something appealing. Maybe it can be the quantity of the people that come out in this place. And we forget that it's not the number that is important. But it's the devotion to God and the faith that we express to our living God. It's interesting here. In verse 5 and 6 and 7, we read this. Chapter 1, verse 5, 6, and 7. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs, Gave them names, Daniel he called Belshazzar, Ananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abnego. If you see the Hebrew names, we're all including the name of God. What Nebuchadnezzar tried to do, change and give new names with the roots of the gods of Babylon in their names. So every time somebody will call Daniel Belshazzar, he will be reminded the God of Babylon and forget the God of Israel. And what about the change of the language? Offer them a new education. Language is a very powerful tool to make people conform. I'll give you an example. Yesterday I celebrate a marriage ceremony. And I was trying to tell people how today marriage seems to be under attack. Did you notice 
we didn't use anymore the terms husband and wife. We use partners. My partner. It seems a, an insignificant change in our language. But it is a, all the ideology that there is behind that is important. Because if you remove husband and wife, you are attacking the foundation of marriage in itself. And you are justifying companionship, cohabitation. Do we realize how subtle is the work of the enemy? Again, language is a powerful tool to conform people to the culture. And what about education? How many people now doubt of the historical credibility of Jesus Christ because of the curriculums that have been adopted? And many of the young people are taught about the lack of proof concerning Christianity and the miracles and everything. They question the integrity of the Bible. And if you continue to hammer on that and continue to hammer on that and continue to hammer on that, you are removing the foundation of the faith. Because if you remove the credibility that Jesus came historically in this earth, we are removing the doctrine of incarnation. If we remove the doctrine of incarnation, we remove everything from the Bible. And what about lifestyles that are justified and beliefs that are justified through the message that we receive through TV and media, films and novels, and the all Hollywood industry? And we spend hours and hours feeding our minds from that garbage. Instead to feed our minds with the word of God, with the praise, with uh, dedicating our time to serve the Lord. I'm not saying that everything is bad. Please, it's not what is my message today. But it's in the integrity of our faith. And the church of Jesus Christ today needs to have discernment. If there is a time in history where the church needs to have discernment, is this one. And we need to stand for what we believe. And therefore, re-envision discipleship. It means to emphasize the importance of being actively part of a community of faith that reminds you the truth of who God is and what it means to be faithful to Him. That's why, because gathering like this are so important. That's why meeting together with other believers is so important to strengthen our faith. We need fellowship. We need to encourage one another. And it's time that we stop to battle within each other and encouraging one another because the times are difficult. We need to encourage one another in the ministry that we do for the Lord. You and I need to regularly be reminded of the importance of being the church in this time. That's why Jesus placed us in a body. That's why we are the church where my weaknesses can be fulfilled by your strength and your weakness can be fulfilled by my strength and the strength of other people. We are there to encourage one another in the Lord. We are there to support one another in the Lord. The enemy already is opposing the church. We must collect our energy together to stand for the truth in time like this. And the regularity with which we assemble with God's people will directly influence the way 
that we live our Christian life outside the church. I understand that we are constantly facing the business of life. Yet, we need to stand for the truth. But if we are alone, we will be struggling to stand. That's why we need to be together as a church. That's why we need to be faithful attending services, prayer meetings, Bible studies, Sunday school class, small groups. And we will be focusing more and more on small groups in the next messages. But what I'm trying to say is that we need the assembling of the saints. We don't want to leave no one behind. The truth is that we will grow in our faith only when we refuse to compromise our allegiance to God, to Jesus, and to His church. Let's build into our daily routines constant reminders of God's grace, our dependence upon God for all the things in our lives. Keep a journal. Perhaps keeping a record that the Lord's goodness in your life that will help you to stand in moments where your faith will be struggling. Even a simple act of praying and saying grace when you are at the table or when you are at a restaurant. Don't be ashamed to pray for the food. Don't be ashamed to be recognized as a Christian. The third strategy was assimilating God's people. You see, Babylon was a, a foreign land, but it was not a bad place to live. It was not a bad time in material things, but it was a spiritual. Scholars say that Babylon, the city, was one of the seven wonders of the earth. Its city's walls were like gardens. It was a beautiful place to be. And the way that Nebuchadnezzar and his people tried to assimilate all the culture that he, they conquered was to give them an opportunity to establish themselves around Babylon. So the people that were deported there, they were not in prison. They were not in dungeons. They had the chance even to implement some business, to stay there, to grow. And of course, they were maybe familiar with some of the words of the prophet Jeremiah that was saying in chapter 29, verse 4 to 7, especially in verse 7, where it says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Ezekiel being free to move from place to another one. Jeremiah was free to send letters to those exiles. Though they were in a foreign land. And I look at the society today, especially here in Canada. You know, Thank God, we are not persecuted for our faith until now. We have a lot of freedom. And we are grateful for that. We are very grateful. But let's be careful that our freedom is not paid exchanging our faithfulness and the integrity of our faith. Let's be careful that the freedom is not at the expenses of the gospel. Daniel and his friends, they resolved to make a stand. Daniel and his friends resolved to behave differently because they knew 
that they were different from the people of Babylon. They knew that they were not Babylonians. They knew that it belonged to another country. They knew that it belonged to God. And my brothers and sisters, though we live in this earth, we don't belong here. We belong there. Our citizen is heaven. They took a stand. Look in verse 8 to 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why I should see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endeavor my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water and to drink. Then let our appearance and appearance of the youths who are eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in, his, in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the stewards took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This portion of the scriptures is not a mandate for Christian vegetarianism. The purpose here was very clear. Daniel understood that if he was eating that food and drinking the wine that the king had at his table, he was accepting the worship of the foreign gods of Babylon. And the verse 8 is very clear. The original word here gives us the idea of pondering that action in prayer. So... Daniel understood that him and his friend need to take a stand. And you know what? As soon as they were determined to do so, the Lord gave Daniel grace in the eyes of the head of the chief of the eunuchs. There will be moments where we need to make a resolution like Daniel and be determined to follow God more than ourselves. Sooner or later, there will be moments where our own identity as a Christian is under threat. And we need to dig our own stick deep on the ground and say, I am a Christian. I'm not doing that. There will be moments where you and I need to stand for our faith. And not be intimidated by the society that we're living in. And this can be very easily done in a small portion. It might be speaking out against uh, the constant foul language that people use around us. It could be stopping to have a job that will oblige you to lie continuously. It could be perhaps renouncing to something that you don't need. And you say, I want to use the money 
for the kingdom of God. Could be other things that the Lord brought to your attention and stop and take a stand and stopping watching some programs or going to some website that will ruin your integrity and your morality. God will honor that. It will give you grace to stand. And it will give you grace and favor in the eyes of those who are around you. God is a faithful God. He will honor us. And uh, through the 17 and 21 verses, we will see some final application that we can take from this chapter 1. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. It's no wonderful. God gave them learning and skills. It was not the ability of the teachers that they had. It was God. It was God that we give them. And it will be God to bless you as you take the stand for him. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in, in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none, none was found like Daniel, Ananias, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that they were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. God is faithful. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, let's learn. Let's resolve not to be defiled. And then let me ask you this, since we are talking about discipleship. Where is the point of discipleship right now in your life? What are you doing for growing in Christ? Are you looking for something that will allow you to grow spiritually? Either you are going to give in your beliefs or you are going to be owned by the Lord. Resolve not to be defiled. Resolve, friend, to resist and not to be defiled. And then the second application, let's expect it to be influential. Because of God's grace given to Daniel and the other three men. You know, Daniel was the most influent person in all the kingdom. And you know what? Daniel was the only one that stood before three kings. And he was always able to give wisdom to them. When we are standing for the gospel and we are in connection with God, we can be influential in every circumstances. People that can mock you, but they know who you are in Christ. They know that you are men and women of faith. And maybe they will mock you for your faith. But in times of need they say. Please can you pray for me. They know that they can trust you. Because you are standing from principles. Values that they don't have. I remember and I said this for the glory of God. When I was in the army. I was mocked. 
I was ridiculed for my faith. It was an hostile environment. But the same people that were mocking me during the day, when the, all the glamour of the group and the macho idea when you are in the army is gone, and they are facing problems, they were knocking to my bed and said, Mario, please, can you come to the bathroom? Let's pray. I need to pray. You know why? Because you can be an influential person in the environment that God created you to be. Let's stand for that. Let's stand for that. And thank God that we can do this for the glory of His name. And then, this is the last, but it's one of the most important in my heart to share with you. Let's speak to our own hearts about what is true, not what we feel true. We need to speak about the word of God that is true. We need to fill our hearts with the promises of God's word. And not what we feel is good. It's not important what I feel. It's important what is true. I don't want to stand on something that is unstable like my feelings. I'm standing on the word of God. And Daniel and the other men, they stood on the promise of God. And I want to encourage your church, if we want to re-envision our discipleship, we don't need to do something that feels good. We need to look for something that is true in the eyes of God. Amen? Look at what the Word of God says in Jeremiah. For those who were in exile, and I close with this, starting from verse 29, verse 11. This is the context. If you stand for me, if you abide on my words, if you truly come back to me, these are the plans that I have for you. Know what you feel now in the exile. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortune and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Praise the Lord for this word. Let's trust God. Let's trust God. He has a wonderful plan for our lives. Let's grow in our faith. Amen.